And speaking of places around this planet, there's a story that's told about a a missionary who boarded a train making his way from one city to the next in a place where people are not allowed to speak the name of Jesus, where the idea of openly sharing the gospel is uh, simply something that's not allowed to happen. And as he was traveling on this train, there was a young man who was a part of another religious faith that rejected the whole idea of everything Christianity stands for. And he recognized this missionary and he came over to him and he said listen I want you to know something I've been looking at your Bible and I read in your Bible that it says nobody can say Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit of God do you believe that's true and the missionary said that's what the Bible said so that must be true it must be true that nobody can say Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit of God and this fellow got a sneering arrogant look on his face and he said well watch this Jesus is Lord and the missionary looked around himself and then he spoke out loud to all of the other people in the car he said did you hear what this man said did you hear what he said this man just said Jesus is Lord this man just said Jesus is Lord this man is proclaiming Jesus Christ as Lord of all mankind and as he said that and people stood up and began to stare at this gentleman then he narrowed down and he slunk away and he didn't want to be seen anymore It was obvious he did not believe Jesus is Lord. Now that's the kind of thing that can happen in another place where it's against the law to share your faith, but I'm afraid that that sort of thing happens a lot today. It doesn't happen because you're afraid you're going to be arrested. It's not because you're afraid that you may have to spend time in prison if you name the name of Jesus. It's just that today people are running away from an exclusive commitment and identification with Jesus Christ. When people began to ask the question, so you really believe that you Christians are the only ones that are right? It scares you to death. When people began to say, is it true that you think the only way to heaven is Jesus Christ? Oh, wait, wait, wait. I'm not sure I'm ready to do that. The truth is, we live in an age of soft belief. It's okay for me to believe that something is right for me, But do I have the right to tell you that what is right for me is also right for you? Especially if it's something as personal as salvation. Nor is there agreement on where salvation comes from. Not very long ago, the leaders of an American old line denomination made the statement, it is heresy for anyone to believe in salvation through personal faith in Christ. Everywhere you turn, there seems to be someone who wants to take the gospel and make it more convenient. Everyone that is, except the Lord himself. God's conditions have never changed. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And that's why it's so important for us to ask the question, why, why, why should I believe that Jesus is the only way? Because you see, salvation is the most critical decision anyone will ever make in their life. 
What can I depend upon to know that I am saved? How can I know that I will go to heaven when I die? How can I be sure I'm in a right relationship with God? And for centuries, the Christian church has offered a single answer. The answer that's found in Acts 16, 31. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. But these days, that answer may not be what some people want to hear. It sounds intolerant. It seems inflexible. It may even be offensive. And yet, I continue to believe with all my heart that it is true. Believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved. Here's everything you need to know about personal salvation. If you know Jesus in a personal way, you are saved. If you don't know him, you are lost. And without him, nothing else matters. You know, we're not the first generation to be challenged. Long ago, Peter and John stood before the rulers of their nation because they were accused of preaching and teaching the name of Jesus. And they were challenged and they were put before the Sanhedrin and they were given every opportunity to back away from the name of Jesus, to deny their faith in Christ, to run from a personal identification with him. But that's not what they did at all. In fact, they took a bold stand when it came to faith in Jesus Christ. And the answers they gave on that day are the same answers we need to believe today. So let me tell you why the Bible tells us from this trial where Peter and John found themselves, why you must believe Jesus is the only way to God. The first thing Peter and John tell us is this. Jesus is the only way because Jesus is the only sufficient sacrifice. Peter and John had been put on trial. They'd been put on trial because they had healed a man in Jesus' name. He had been right there on the edges of the temple. It wasn't in some secret hidden away place. It was where everybody could see. And people were amazed by the miracle as Peter reached down and took that man by the hand and in the name of Jesus pulled him to his feet and the Bible says he was running and leaping and praising God. And the leaders were not pleased at all by what had happened, by the way that it had been done so publicly. And so they'd taken Peter and John and they put them on trial, on trial for their beliefs. They knew when they stepped into the courtroom that what they said could condemn them to prison, even send them to death. It was in such a situation when it would have been so simple to turn their backs or to compromise their faith that they spoke the truth boldly. They said they did what they did in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And then Peter looked around the room into the eyes of many who had been present on the very night when Christ had been betrayed and his voice crackled by thunder. Whom you crucified. We did this in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Whom you crucified. You with your sin. You with your unbelief. You with your rejection of him. You crucified the Savior. 
It's your fault. It's your sin. It's you. One of the reasons that it's important to believe that Jesus is the only way is that we're all guilty and we cannot forgive ourselves. Whom you crucified. I'll never forget the day when I was involved in doing something rebellious, something sinful, something wrong. I was in my middle teenage years. And for the first time in my life, I was thunderstruck when I realized what I am doing right now is why Jesus had to go to the cross. What I am doing right now is the sin I could not forgive by myself we don't like to admit our guilt before God we're not like that man who knelt in the temple that day and said God be merciful to me a sinner the truth is most of us do everything we can to get around having to confess our own sin we love to say, it's not my fault. We like to point to other people or the circumstances around us or to say, everybody's doing that. And so we excuse ourselves, but we cannot forgive ourselves. And here's the thing we always need to recognize. One of the reasons I believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven is because God holds every one of us responsible for our own burden of personal sin. We cannot stand before God and say, everybody else does that. Everybody else thinks the same way I do. Everybody else is excusing themselves for their sin. But the truth is, if you're ever going to be saved, you have to be able to admit it was me. I'm the sinner. It was me. And I made my own decision. And I alone am responsible for the consequences of my own actions. But personal guilt is only half the formula. The other half is, how can you be forgiven? And the answer is plain. Jesus was crucified for you. See, God's not interested in you saying to him, I'm a sinner, I'm wrong, I did wrong, I rebelled against you. I'm the worst kind of person there is. What God is really interested in is you saying to him, it was me. I made the choice. I did it. I've got to have help. And the help comes from the cross. He's the only one who paid the ultimate price through his physical death, yes, but more than that, through his spiritual sacrifice. He took your sins. He suffered your judgment. 
He endured your punishment. Before the service, when we were gathered in my office getting ready to pray, the staff and I were talking about the way you pronounce names. Uh, some of those Bible names that came up, and of course I told them, you know, my theory is if you don't know how to pronounce that name, you say it like you really know what you're talking about. And everybody else will go, I always wondered how you pronounce that name. <laughs> but I was also saying sometimes if we're not careful, and particularly sometimes with biblical translation, you can take really important, rich words and make them so simple that they lose their impact. And some of you know my very favorite doctrinal word in all the Bible is the term propitiation. Propitiation. And sometimes people take that term and they try to simplify it. But when you simplify it, you can take the power of it. And you know what the power of propitiation is? Propitiation means you take the guilt, you take the sin, you take the condemnation off of one person's shoulders and you put it on somebody else and that's the cross Jesus Christ is the only one who has provided propitiation for your sin he doesn't act like it never happened he doesn't excuse it. He doesn't say bygones will be bygones. Instead, he takes your guilt off your shoulders. And he places it on himself. And he takes it to the cross. Do you know how many people have done that in the history of the planet? One. One. So when we ask the question, how can you believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven? It's because Jesus is the only one who paid that price. Jesus is the only one who made that sacrifice. There is nobody else who has done what he has done. And so you say about him, I crucified him. He sacrificed himself for me. We need a personal faith because everything about the cross is intensely personal. And when you account to God for your life, it is you alone who will stand in the shadow of the cross and answer for what you did with Jesus. He's the only way because he's the only one who paid the price. But that's not all we learn from Peter and John. We also learn this. And Jesus is the only way because he's the only one who has defeated death. You know, the world has seen its share of great leaders, heroes, military conquerors, rulers, those who have established empires that uh, extended as far as mankind knew at their time. And many of them thought they had changed the world forever. But they lived and they died and time went by and the world forgot about whatever they accomplished. Eventually, whatever they had accomplished died with them. But that's not true of Jesus. 
Peter continues and he says this, whom God raised from the dead, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. The most incredible thing about Jesus Christ is not the death he died. It is the life that he lives. Some years back, you may remember that film, The Passion of the Christ, that uh, was released. And it was the story of the suffering and the crucifixion of Jesus. But you know, the problem I had with that movie was, and when he died, the movie ended. As though... That's the conclusion of the story of Jesus of Nazareth. And that's not at all what the Bible tells us. Here's what the Bible says. For three days his body laid in the tomb. For three days he paid the judgment price for you and me. And on the third day, God raised him from the tomb. Let me tell you what occurred to me just this past Friday I was doing my personal Bible study I'm reading through uh, John and I got to that part where Lazarus has died and you know Jesus has come with Mary and Martha and they're all standing in front of the place where Lazarus has been buried and he says roll away the stone and you remember what the people said to him when Jesus commanded them to roll away the stone they said Lord he stinks he's decaying he's been dead for four days and Jesus said roll away the stone and you know what occurred to me the other day and what occurred to me was and when they rolled that stone away and they exposed that tomb the stench of death was everywhere it was everywhere. And then Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. And the smell of death disappeared. He was gone. He had raised him from the dead. Because that's what Jesus does. He defeats death. He destroys despair. He's returned to his place in heaven. He's become the door to eternal life. Why is Jesus the only one who can create a way to heaven? Because nobody else has done what he has done. Nobody else has died and then come back again. Nobody else has power over death except Jesus Christ. And we trust him because he's the only one. Who can offer us hope. Our eternal hope is absolutely bound to his eternal life. So we believe Jesus is the only way to heaven because Jesus is the only one who paid the sacrifice. We believe Jesus is the only way to heaven because Jesus is the only one who has the ability to give you everlasting life. And then we believe Jesus is the only way because his is the only name that saves. Verse 12, Peter spoke the truth clearly. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. What does that tell us? It is the only name. Not the word, but the person. 
Jesus Christ. He is the only name. When we look at hope for heaven, when we look at hope for eternal life, when we look at hope for forgiveness, we recognize his is the only name. He is the only one. The only name given. Salvation only comes at God's initiative. How do I know I'm going to have hope for heaven? It's not because I've earned it. It's not because I deserve it. It's not because I'm better than other people. It is because salvation has been given to me, and it has been given to me at God's initiative. God's the one who decided he would save me. God is the one who offers eternal life. God is the one who gave his son so that we could have everlasting life. And it is given because that is the way by which we must be saved. Hear me. Not can or should, but must. It is an absolute spiritual essential. What is John what was Peter saying to those people, Peter and John, in that, on the, in that trial? They were saying this, in his name there is forgiveness and eternal life. In any other name there is futility and there is death. Don't take my word for it. Or even what Peter proclaimed about the Lord. Listen to what Jesus said about himself. John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Well, that's clear. And that's plain, isn't it? And if somebody else tells you there are other ways, and if you don't want to believe Christ is your only hope, that's fine. As long as you understand something. If you are right, then Jesus is wrong. But if he is right, there is no other name. No man comes to the Father except by me. If he is right, there's nothing that matters more than knowing that you have trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. Why should I believe that Jesus is the only way to be saved? It's important for me to believe that. It is essential for me to believe that. It is critical for me to believe that. Because that's what the Bible says. And that's what Jesus says. And that's the truth like it or not that's the truth so I guess the question today is do you know that you know that your salvation is established in Jesus Christ why should I believe Jesus is the only way because that's your hope and maybe you're here today and you've known about him and you've thought about him and you've agreed about him but you've never committed your life to him Today may be the day when you need to be saved. 
Or maybe you're recognizing for the very first time, you know, this is really all about me. This is not about everybody else. This is about me. And today you know it's time to give your life to Jesus. And if you'd like to be saved today, I'll be here at the front as we sing our invitation. I would love to introduce you to the Lord. Or maybe you're here today and you're recognizing, you know what? God's calling me to be part of this church. I want to plant myself in this place. I want to become a member of First Baptist Church. And if so, then you come forward and I'll be glad to welcome you. And this church will be glad to love you. And together we can serve him. Or maybe there's another decision, a personal decision that you need to make. Maybe you need somebody to pray with you, to pray for you. Is there a reason you need to come? We're going to stand and we're going to sing an invitation hymn. And as we sing, and as God's Holy Spirit speaks to you in your heart of hearts, you come. Let's stand together. should be seated again just for a moment all right I like collecting cards Maddie come join me up here Maddie Barrow is one of our college students and we're so glad to have her part of as part of our college ministry but she wants to be more than that she wants to be a member of our church and so we talked a little bit last week and she is going to be coming by statement she is coming from a church in another denomination having been uh, baptized by immersion and now this morning she comes and she wants to be part of what God is doing at First Baptist Church so she can bless us and we can bless her and together we can honor the Lord and if you want to let Maddie know how glad you are about this decision she's made you say amen Maddie, that's the whole church saying welcome. We're so glad you're going to be here. She's going to be such a blessing. And you can sit back down just for a second. And Larry and Debbie Patapas come and join me here as well. And these are both friends of the Stiths and the Smiths. 
So that's pretty exciting, isn't it? <laughs> and they have come. They've been part of our church for a while. David's been singing in the choir. And they came, I think, when y'all first came, it was to help with the children's camp, wasn't it? The music camp. And have been a part of our worship time. And today they come bringing their letter from a sister church here in the area so that we can serve God together. And if you want to let them know that you're so excited about what God has done in their lives, you say amen. And that's another big welcome. And we're just so glad that y'all are going to be part of our membership and our fellowship. We just look forward to serving the Lord together. It's been a good day, hasn't it? God's been good. Let me remind our students and our sojourner folks that you've got lunch downstairs immediately after the service. And uh, so let's all stand together. Judith, I'm going to ask you if you'll escort all these folks out so you can greet them in the lobby in just a few minutes and let them know how glad you are that God's brought them to be part of the membership of our church. It's been a good day in God's house. We're looking forward to a great time together. Let's bow together for a final prayer and then one last song as we dismiss. And Father, we do thank you for these three who have come to be part of our church fellowship, who have come to plant their lives so that they can worship you here and so that we can bless them. And Father, they can bless us and together we can serve you in your kingdom. And Father, we just want to ask that you continue to bless our church. Keep your hand on us. Father, thank you for that one name, that one name that makes all the difference as we serve in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. So Father, help us to go in the name of Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.